fidelity monitoring. So this is um, but the reason this is included in here is because uh, usually when people go through CTI trainings, they are considering having a CTI program. And since there is evidence um, with critical time intervention, um, you know, as in anytime you do an evidence-based practice, it is the evidence is for implementing the, the model the way it was designed in the research studies. Um, and there are varieties of research studies and there's some adaptations about how to do it. And there's good evidence, you know, for even the adaptations, um, but it's important to share that with you. That doesn't mean that there might be not pieces of CTI that you wanna use without doing the whole model. It may not be possible for you to have like a whole CTI program. Um, but I just want to tell you kind of what basically that includes so that you um, so that you will know. So first, I want to talk about um, the elephant in the room because um, I think when I was first learning about CTI, it all sounded fantastic and wonderful. And for me, the big elephant in the room in our program was that this all sounds great, but we have no housing for people, you know. And it is wonderful to have a service that helps people maintain their housing and not return to homelessness. But that is assuming that we can even get them into housing. Um, and so I'm guessing that that is at least partially true in, in Los Angeles and maybe, I don't know how big of a problem it is in Los Angeles to find housing, but I have yet to be in any place in the United States and in Canada, where I've done, believe it or not, done some training in Toronto. And uh, one of my colleagues did some in London, but I've been to Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, you know, North Carolina. Um, and, you know, every place has strengths and weaknesses. You know what I mean? And like some people have a, like a really robust permanent supportive housing program but not good in other things, you know, so you never know what strengths and um, challenges each area has, but practically everybody's got some kind of big challenge that is totally out of your control. And that no matter how hard you work, how quality your service is, you cannot control some of these things. <laughs> so I just want to kind of say that because I recognize that that can feel like you know, um, a pretty big barrier in implementing a service program that's designed to um, help people um, maintain um, stable housing, um, which is why when I was talking about this critical transition, which is key in CTI, that you have to be able to say what your transition is because CTI won't work as it's designed if you don't have a critical you know, it's a transition of some kind that's important in the person's life. And so, like I said, that transition, sort of the, the most obvious one is when people have been homeless and they get a place to live. And CTI is great for that. It also can be a transition where somebody has been in prison or jail for a while and they get out and they have to reintegrate into their community. And then even if they're going into a shelter, or even if they're going into some kind of residential program, 
that there's still this transition of how do you kind of get your life back in some way? How do you get connected to things that you need so that you can um, a, you know, stay out of jail or prison and also, you know, have a path toward um, a different kind of life going forward. You can also have this critical transition coming out of a, a sort of a long psychiatric hospitalization. That is a huge transition. People are at very high risk um, after a psychiatric hospitalization. They're at risk for, they're at higher risk for suicide. They're at risk of homelessness. They're at risk of like, um, uh, you know, decompensation or relapse of their illness. So those are examples, or, or when families, um, you know, are, um, like if there's family disruptions and people end up in family um, shelters, there's still, that's a transition from housing to homelessness, but it's still important to get connected to things and get support with that. So you can think about transitions in a variety of ways, but it's important to kind of have something as a transition, so. Um, so anyway, I don't know if anybody has any, feel free to sort of stop me at, at any point, but I'm going to keep going right now. So I'm going to go through the CTI uh, forms, and um, these are the ones that are in the CTI model. As long as you are gathering this information, there's nothing about the CTI forms per se that have to do with fidelity, because a lot of people can gather the correct information or use, you know, or use the form, use a different form as long as it kind of matches the intent. Um, because like progress notes, people usually have their own kind of progress notes that they have to use in their agency, and that's fine. Um, and there may be a particular discharge note or closing note that you have to use. And the phase plan that I, that we did last time, I think is, is a, a plan that, um, if, if at all possible, I would try to use it just because I think it's very useful if you can. Um, and if you can't, you might be able to have the elements of that as part of your work together, even if it's even if you're not sort of allowed to use that as sort of your you know treatment plan. It may still be a useful document. And then there's a team supervision form, and then there's a caseload review form, which we just put all that into a spreadsheet. It's a whole lot easier. We could keep all the dates. We could keep all the cases. We can put notes. Every time we had a meeting, we would put a new date, add a little note so we could keep track of what was going on. So there's different ways to do this. And I can get you all these forms. And also, if you go to the Center for Advancement of CTI, you can um, kind of sign up um, with them. And I can talk to the person who does this there. And you can get access to all these forms as well as there's some podcasts on CTI, there's um, uh, there's like, I don't know, there's other, there's research, there's other stuff on there. And there's like this global network website. Um, okay, that's, that's a repeat slide. So let's just ignore that. <laughs> okay, other forms that might be useful, but that aren't included in the official CTI model is some kind of assessment tool. Um, and so I have one that our team has developed that work really well for us, which I'm happy to share, but a lot of people have their own case management type assessment. And we sort of talked about where you're assessing all those kind of um, areas of needs in a person's life so that it's like, 
you know, everything around food, transportation, benefits, you know, medical care, pharmacy, you know, you name it, just so that you kind of understand everybody's um, needs and resources and connections and lack of connections and that sort of thing. Uh, we had a very, very brief, because I really don't want to get bogged down in paperwork, and I know you guys don't either. We had a new case presentation form so that if we had a new case, it had a few just kind of, you know, it was just like three or four um, important things about, you know, rather than go through the whole assessment, it was like, here's this person's situations, here's what their primary needs are, here are some challenges or observations, and who's going to who's gonna work with this person. Um, so that, that was helpful for us, but again, not necessary. Um, and then some places have to have crisis plans. And so if you're required to have a crisis plan, then you know that would be separate from CTI, but may still be really helpful. And then of course, you may have your own documentation. So I, I, what we tried to do is figure out what were we required to have and how could we consolidate as many things into as few documents as possible so that we didn't end up feeling like we had a million pieces of paper. So we had the assessment and the phase plan. The documentation went into our electronic medical record and we had a spreadsheet that had all the dates and all the notes on it and who had the case and all that. And that actually worked for us to be pretty sustainable and we didn't get overwhelmed or behind too much. <laughs> um, and so then there's these tools for self-assessment um, and that um, because there's not really, at this point, there's no CTI team, you know, coming down from New York City to come assess your fidelity at this point. I don't know if they're going to have that at some point, but there is a way to do a self-assessment that you can do on your own program and say, how are we doing? Are we doing this? If you, if you want to, how close are we to doing this the way that it's sort of supposed to be? And, um, and then there's these other tools. So I'm gonna go over them a little bit in just a minute. So here's the main principles and practices that are part of CTI. And this is a bit of a summary, that you're linking to long-term supports, that you've got small caseloads, no more than 20 a person. We had 15, so it sort of depends, but nothing, you know, you don't wanna have a caseload that's so big that all you're doing is making a phone call once a month. You know, that's, that's not gonna be that helpful unless they're in phase three, and then that's different. That you have limited focus, one to three goal areas at a time, that you've got this decreasing intensity over three phases, and that you don't do early discharge you don't, it's, a, it's sort of a no reject, no eject kind of service as much as possible. You're trying to keep people in and not sort of, you don't want to be punishing people for the problems that they have that are sort of not really, you know, that are, they're coming to you because they have problems. So you don't want to punish them for the problems that they have. Now, having said that, sometimes we had to um, discharge people from the program if say they were threatening the life of a team member, you know, that happened to us once and we were like, we can't work with this person. They're threatening to kill somebody on our team. That's not okay. Um, so if people have, you know, are, you know, you're out in the community, so you don't wanna, you know, put your staff um, 
and yourselves in danger. Um, but other than that, you want to try to keep people um, engaged. And of course, if they decide they don't want to have the service, that's that's different. Um, that it's community-based, that you're out there with people in the community, that it's uh, designed around the transition, and that you're using these principles that I think all of you use around harm reduction, motivational interviewing, understanding stages of change, and having this sort of recovery orientation, that you frequently review cases, and that you have team-based supervision so that on some kind of regular basis, y'all get together and you talk about, you know, review the caseload and talk about issues and resources and problems and kind of problem solve together and support each other. So those are the basics of CTI. So I'm going to, this is the model, but I'm gonna stop sharing and share it. Uh, and, and you should have this document. Uh, can everybody see that pretty well? Okay. So you'll have it, but I'm just gonna go through this. What I'd like to do is see if you all would be willing to put, I'm gonna ask you questions and then put in the chat um, the brief answer. Um, so, um, and this will be about your opinion about whether, you know, what you are doing in your work is compatible with CTI or it's possible or would be helpful to include these components. So the first one um, is time limited, that there's this nine months of CTI, or if it's a six month program, six months, or if it's a year program, it's a year, but it's time limited and three and phases with, you know, sort of time limited, three phases decreasing in intensity. So put in the chat and David's gonna keep um, an eye on this to say, um, if that's possible or helpful in your program, yes <laughs> or no, <clears throat> or you could say, you know, not sure or any other comment, um, but just think about like the work that you're doing and is it possible to do it and would it be helpful? Do you think it would be effective to do it this way? So I'm just gonna wait, you know, I don't know, 10 seconds and just throw something in the chat, whether it's a yes or a no, or maybe halfway, whatever. So far, Janice, we got a no. Um, and the explanation is ours is a lifetime of remaining in the housing, but uh, we can phase in and out depending on what happens in their lives. Um, we also got a maybe, and then we got a yes. Um, mm -hmm. We have one that says they say in a year, but feel it should be as long as, uh, as in their program. Um, mm -hmm. Another yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that, that's it so far. So, so far that's uh yeah so um so as is as much as possible um i really want to hear your sort of thoughts about this as as we go through um so yeah it sounds like you know if you're in a program that is you know and that's sort of probably the sfp teams and kind of similar to an act team you know in, in north carolina it's designed to be a, a long-term service and so it may not be possible to have it be time limited. That may not fit. It may not be what you should do or want to do. Um, and, um, and so if that's 
if that's it, that's it. You know, it may not be that's a component of CTI that might not work for you. Um, in other programs, it might. <clears throat> okay, so the next one is focused. So that would be um, picking one or two or three areas of focus at a time to work with your clients on. So that's sort of the different than, you know, you know how some plans will be like physical health, substance use, housing, mental health, family support, you know, weight loss, smoking cessation, you know. Um, so if, if, if you have to have that kind of plan, um, then, then that might be that it's impossible for you to do sort of a focus plan. But if you feel like it would be helpful to focus on one or two, three areas at a time, if your clients would like that and you think it would be helpful, um, possible, then, um, and then, you know, let's so put that in the in the chat box. What you think about about that? And Janice, just to update you for your previous question, a few more answers came in, and and uh, one person said it depends on diagnosis of the client, and also it may be case by case. Okay, uh, gotcha. Now for your new question, it says yes, it could be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, we could even uh, do it around making their house a home. Um, someone else says it depends on the client's diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, another yes, it could be helpful. Sure. Yeah, so this is one that um, I have found having done this a couple of different ways, that having the focusing is very client friendly. Um, so that even if you have to have a comprehensive plan when you're actually working on a client, because if you think about, you know, what we do in our own lives, like I know personally, I can't work on every single area of my life that needs improvement at one time. Um, and so that for me, I might say, all right, I'm going to try to, you know, get better sleep and, you know, most days try to take a walk and remember to call my grandmother or something like that, you know, and so um, I think sometimes it's just um, helpful. And I hear what you're saying about diagnosis, because I think, um, and this was one of the things that we found with CTI, is that even that we were time limited, sometimes what would happen is we would get to the midpoint and we would realize, you know, this person, because of their diagnosis, like if they have um, schizophrenia and it's not very well controlled, or they have schizophrenia and other problems, um, on top of that, that they're going to have to get a much more intensive long-term service. And so part of the goal of CTI would be to get them into that. So if you already are that, you know, then, then that would obviously be different for you. So I get that. Um, next one is small caseload size. So you all probably know if your caseload feels too big <laughs> or unmanageable, um, or if it feels like just right and you can kind of take care of your clients in the way that you feel that you need to. And, and also the other thing about CTI is the reason that it's 20 is that you're thinking that some are high need, you know, and that some are low need as you're kind of going through the phases. And also there's always fluctuation, right? You're going to have clients who are just harder and have more complicated problems to deal with and then others that are less like that. So same, so same thing, put it in the chat box, whether you it's possible uh, or would be helpful to do sort of this small caseload size. Okay, and Janice, just a follow-up from your previous question. Um, 
the comment is I could see the plan working, but when you are focusing on one area, I feel that other areas might not be accommodated and that may cause an issue. And I think you were talking about that, Janice. I think you'd kind of mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's a new comment that says, yes, we sometimes have a bit more than 20 based on an increase in referrals and inability to hire um, ICM, uh, I believe that's intensive case managers. Uh, perhaps mm -hmm. I might have made that acronym up. I don't know, it's ICMS um, fast enough, but usually we uh, will stick uh, to approximately 20. Okay, yeah, it sounds like that maybe that's something that's kind of, maybe that number is there because that, you know, generally is works um, for people. And um, yeah, just to go back to that, you know, really good comment about this focused work is that, um, yeah, sometimes if you're focusing on one thing and all of a sudden this big hairy problem happens in another part of life, you cannot ignore that. So, um, so I think focus doesn't mean that you can't deal with reality. You know what I mean? That if there's stuff that happens that you, you know, will need to address that problem. And either that means you're saying, oh, we got to focus on this now, or it might be that, you know, you, you've added an area or that one gets kind of put on hold for a bit while you focus on this other thing. So sometimes there does have to be an, an ebb and flow. And, and so just an example of, of why this I find is still can be helpful. So we had a client who um, had, um, she had she had a kid, and she had um, she had a mental illness, and she also had like kind of a mild intellectual disability, and she, but she lived with her parents who helped take care of her kid, and she wanted to live on her own, and be able to have her kid visit with her. So the first step for her was getting her own place and becoming skilled at handling her own place because she wasn't going to be able to have her kid come visit um, and move toward having her child back, um, you know, full time eventually if she couldn't kind of just like focus on getting her own self stable in her um, situation. So basically the thing there was housing stability and daily living skills um, and also getting connected to treatment. So those were the three things. And then what ended up happening is that the CTI worker who's working with her kept coming up to our meetings with like, she's having these, you know, she's having all these conflicts with her, with her, with her family and her parents about her child. And what we ended up realizing is that, you know, because our attention kept getting drawn into all this family stuff, we were spending less time focusing on the goal that we had set. And so our efforts were getting too spread out and our efforts of helping her become more independent in her housing, or get what it was like, we we're doing less than we wanted to with that. And it was partly because she kept saying, I need to talk about what's going on with my parents. I need to talk about what they're, you know, I don't like the birthday party that they're having for my son or, or whatever. And that what we ended up saying to her is, hey, you know, we're going to do this. And then I promise <laughs> next we will do this. And we've only got, we, let's do this for a month or two months, whatever we have. And then we will do this next, but this is how we work. And it ended up helping us feel less fragmented and, and help us focus and be um, kind of more 
um, intentional and proactive about what we decided to work on. Because you know how sometimes people have like a million problems and they're always in crisis. And if you are just like responding to crises all the time, then you know, then it's it's really um, it's really hard to make progress in one thing of all you're doing is responding to crises. Because if you're a person with a lot of crisis, what that means, it's not a crisis, it's a life problem that you have a life that's full of crises. And so then it does make sense to figure out like, okay, what can we do to help you have a life where crisis is less likely to happen? And sometimes that can you know, um, be helped by focusing on just one area at a time. So I think it really just involves like figuring it out and knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you're changing focus or if you've got four or five, you know why and you're deciding to do it and it makes sense. Um, so anyway, um, you know, partly this is trusting the expertise of your team and knowing your clients and the limitations of your program. But I think that was a really helpful thing to bring up. Um, any other comments on that? Because um, I don't want to come across as telling people like how to do it or that there's a right way to do it necessarily. I just want to kind of give you the perspective of, of, of CTI. So, but I'm really appreciating these comments. Um, okay, so the next part is community-based is that CTI workers have at least three community-based meetings with a client. We had so many more than three, but you know, um, and that you've had at least two with uh, providers with other providers, other agencies, or informal support. So that's family members or whatever. So let's hear from people. Is that possible for you? Are you already doing it? Or would it be helpful? Um, or, or is that impossible in your, in your program? Uh, uh, Janice, we had a, a few uh, comments that came in later on just about caseload size. And um, one person mentions that they are much more effective um, when they have manageable caseloads. And, and one person works in older, FS, uh, older FSP. Um, so having a large caseload is not beneficial to the client or to the clinician in that case. Yeah. Um, and then to your recent question, it says, yes, we are on site. So having on site face to face sometimes daily and meet weekly with the entire uh, support team. Um, mm -hmm. Someone else says in my program, we usually have team meetings Monday to Friday. Okay, right, right. You've got that daily check in with the team kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's really nice. Yeah. Um, right, you know, you can tell when your caseload's too big when you find yourself ignoring a problem, you know, that you know, like shouldn't be ignored, or you think, oh, that's too complicated. I can't even deal with it this week. I'll just like deal with it next week. You know, when you start to notice that that's what's happening, usually that means either you're getting stressed out and you need some help, <laughs> or if you're too much happening with your caseload, or you've got too many really difficult clients. So um, that's a good thing to talk with your team about that happen, you know, sometimes what I what I find for me is a signal is if I start to be so if I start to feel confused about what's going on with a client, I don't even know how to solve the problem. And I'm just like, you know, in a fog almost about what to do next. That's a sign for me that I need to um, you know, get some support in figuring out 
step one, step two, step three, and do I need help doing it? So that's community-based. So the next part is weekly team supervision. And if we think about sort of the ideal kind of, you know, team meeting where you're talking about clients and the way that you need to, to get the, you know, supporting you is supporting the clients and that you've got um, the input of people that you need. So that is, you know, there's maybe a master's level clinician for their knowledge set that you've got people who, you know, know the clients and know the community um, and that you're, you know, that it's a team that works to accomplish tasks and it feels supportive to you. So let's see what y'all have to say about that, whether you're doing it already or what it would be helpful, um, you know, or, you know, it's not happening or it's impossible in your, in your setting. And um, a few follow-ups from previous uh, uh, monthly with property managers and owners also, or more as needed for housing retention support. And then also an additional comment, we also are on site and it's convenient when other agencies can coexist with our work. When we see mm -hmm. the same client, it helps to be on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I know that it's really nice to have good positive relationships with property managers. Um, it's huge. You know, I mean, when I go in there, I just, you know, I practically want to bring them flowers. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so, <laughs> but I always try to just appreciate them and chat with them and, and, you know, and see their side, you know, understand their perspective. So. Yeah, that's great having things on site. So helpful. Um, was there any comments about team team meetings, team supervisions? Some of the people are doing them every day. It sounds like already. Um. Yeah, so nothing. Uh, nothing additional at, at this point. Okay. So All right. And then the next one is decreasing contact. So unless you're in, um, and and maybe even if you are in a service that's considered long-term, you know, are, you know, does it fit uh, or would it be possible or helpful to have decreasing contact with clients as they build up their own support systems or skills, um, you know, or other links in their community? So let's get some chats on that one. Okay. Um, it says that even as uh, even as a long-term supportive staff, as they stabilize, we do back off, but uh, most do face-to-face -face at least once a month, usually to ensure the home is, is in compliance. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Well, it, it, you know, so if you, you know, think about if you are able to do time-limited phase-based and decreasing contact, you may be able to do CTI. You know, it may work for you as a model. And then no dropouts. Um, so this is, you know how like in some treatments, if you don't, if you don't show up, then they're, you know, I mean, I work, you know, at UNC and some of the clinics, they say, if you have two no-shows, then you have to do the no-show group. And if you don't show up for the no-show group, then you're out. And if you do show up, you get one more chance. So so CTI is kind of like the opposite of that, you know? So if you have the ability to not drop people unless they decide to 
um, but that you want to keep them in the whole time. So let's see what people say about that one. And it kind of goes with the next thing about is engagement. And so it's really about like, can you do a sort of engagement with people and be flexible with them about their ability to, you know, establish rapport and, and, and trust. So to me, those kind of go together because one is engaging and one is maintaining that over time. Any any comments coming in, David? No, uh, no comments. Not, not on that. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking I know that this crowd does this engagement type of work. <laughs> um, and then the initial assessment, I kind of feel like probably everybody's already doing this as well, that you're gathering client information that's relevant to the transition in your population and your setting, um, including strengths, inclu including problems, of course, um, but also including strengths and interests and goals and all that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna skip over that that's probably embedded. And then the next thing is like a lot about linking. And so if you're doing this is very compatible with CTI. So assessing the strengths of connections and figuring out like how much can you connect people to things in their community. So I mean, that can be anything like a book club at the library, you know, psychosocial rehab, senior center to play bingo, uh, volunteer work, um, classes, groups, other services, you know, sort of anything, you know, financial literacy programs, um, just reading literacy programs, GED equivalency program, you know, you name it. So part of this is like, are you emphasizing linking things to people that will, you know, kind of be supportive um, and for them. So come on, let's get comments on that. And here, if you just are doing this, just say yes, <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> I would be surprised unless it's just not part of your job. But if you think, but if you are already doing it great and if you think it would be helpful to do more, um, then that would be um, maybe another way to respond. And we're getting um, some yeses in, Janice. Lots of yeses, I bet. Okay. This is one of those things that, like, we sometimes really try to think out of the box because sometimes we don't even know about, like, I think it was last, one of these last meetings, somebody mentioned that there was some kind of program for, um, like, moms with kids or something, you know? And if you don't always work with moms and kids, you might not know, but, like, you know, sort of finding out all these possible things in your community. Um, and then another part of CTI is that since it does have an end date, that before you end, it's really good to go contact everybody that this person wanted to say, hey, just so you know, <laughs> we're stepping out of the picture. You know, this is our last month with this client. If you have any other, you know, kind of concerns, let me know. And whoever referred them initially, I usually call that person back and just say, hey, you, you know, you referred this person and here's what happened and blah, blah, blah. Okay, the next person is, uh, next part is a role of a CTI worker in the community. So that's having a cell phone, you know, duh. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, nobody doesn't have a cell phone. We use Google Voice so that we just have to use our personal smartphones if we have a personal smartphone and, and most of us do so that we have a private number because it's really not great to have your personal cell phone number also be your work number. Um, 
and that you're recovery oriented and that you're relating to your clients in a, you know, a genuine way and focused on what they want, what they need and being harm reduction and going at their pace. Um, I kind of feel like probably everybody here is sort of doing this stuff because this is kind of just sort of like how you are with your, in your work um, as a human being who does this kind of work. So if you're doing this kind of work um, and you're not doing this, then then it might be that um, you're burned out or you know there's there's something better for you to be doing in your career because this would be very dis, uh, unsatisfying if you were um, you know kind of not really um, able to kind of work with this population in this way, if that makes sense. And, and I'm not putting a judgment on that. I'm just saying, you know, it's not, it's not for everybody, right? It's not for the faint of heart. And then I don't know if I need to go through the rest of this, but um, that there's clinical supervision, um, there's case presentations for new clients, and that this field work coordination that you need to have somebody who, um, this is kind of just monitoring and coordinating and, and all that. And I think that usually there's somebody doing that in, in each agency. Um, but if there's not, you probably need somebody to be doing it, but usually that's built in. And then if you were doing fidelity, you, these would be the forms that you would need to be doing. So the phase plan that we talked about that, progress notes, however that's done. And the phase date form, basically what that is, is a way to keep track of all the clients' phase dates or you will lose track because it's really hard to remember that Mary started in January and at the end of March, she's in phase two. You won't be able to keep track of that unless you have some way to have it visibly, you know, that's why we had a spreadsheet so we could say, oh, guess what? It's, you know, boom, the three month trigger just went off for this person. Um, so having some way to keep track of the phases and then um, the team supervision form, we didn't really use, we just put it in our notes, um, but we, we used the concept of it, but not the form. So as long as you're keeping track of this information, um, you know, you can make up your own forms about it. So depending on, so what happens is you give yourself a score of that you never do it, sometimes do it half the time, most of the time, or always. And then, you know, we would have um, everybody in our team do it so we could get the, because it's really just subjective, it's an opinion about how well do you think you're doing that. And then we would average everybody's score together to see like how um, well we felt like we were implementing CTI. So that's that on that. So um, let me go back to my PowerPoint and see, we're almost done with this section, I think. So that's that form. And then this is basically another you know, form that's available on the CTI, but it basically just gives a summary. This is when people are trying to figure out, do they, you know, should they be doing CTI in their program? Does it make sense? Could they do it? So it's like, you know, phases drop, you know, focused, assessment components, phase components, field work coordination and documentation. Um, so that's all I'm gonna say about that. 
So here's what I just want to talk about the problems that can get CTI off track, because I think, you know, realistically, this sometimes happens. And our team was very, very committed to sticking to the CTI model, partly because we were grant funded to do it the way it was supposed to be doing it. And we all went and got trained by the people who invented CV CTI. And we had to keep track of all this data. So it was a little bit of research involved. So we were very invested in trying to figure out how to get CTI work to work well, knowing that sometimes it was tricky for us to make everything fit into the structure. Um, so these are the kinds of things that uh, got, can get in the way from my experience. That if there is a disconnect between the client's goals and the program goals, but what we think should be the goals for that client and what their goals actually are, then you're gonna have trouble. So if you know, if I think that, you know, if I'm operating on the assumption that Mary's goal is to get mental health care and take medication and see a therapist, and Mary's goal is to get a job and she doesn't want to do all that other stuff. Then we're then we're missing each other, and we're not having a shared understanding of the goals. And that if Mary's goal is to do her thing, that I need to sort of. It doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about what I know, you know, or understand about her. I'm not trying to, you know, you know, sort of ignore my own assessment skills, you know, or ignore what I know, but I still have to be on board with um, her goals. Sometimes what happens is the phases get kind of like muddy and unclear. And I think that's like a tricky thing. And it's like, you just kind of have to do your best because sometimes you're in phase two and a crisis happens, but you just try still to stay on track for this decreasing intensity over time. Um, sometimes it's really hard to end with clients because they like you and you like them and it feels like crappy to, you know, stop the clock and have them transition to something else when you feel like your relationship with them is like helpful and supportive. But in CTI, um, the goal is to prepare for the time limited nature of it from the beginning. And the advantage of this because um, I had a really hard time with this at the beginning. But what I realized the advantage of it is that usually what happened is that if we connected people well, as well as the other things that they needed and got them a really good head start on the things that they needed um, and wanted, that, you know, that often like the progress kept happening without us. And, and that was kind of a lesson that we learned. And also you're going to be able to start with new people who need you more, who are at, at the beginning phase, you know, of, of whatever transition they're in. Um, so that's a tricky thing. And that doesn't mean somebody can't be re-referred down the line. Like we would have people where they were homeless, uh, they got out of the hospital, they were disconnected, and we would do something like do a SOAR claim. I don't know if you all have SOAR in your community that... Um, the SOAR is an expedited way to apply for disability benefits for people who are homeless. 
and it's a really, really great thing to do. So we got everybody on our team sore trained um, because being able to get somebody's homeless disability benefits is a game changer. And SOAR claims are approved more quickly and they have a extremely um, dramatically higher rate of approval than a normal disability claim. Something like 80% of disability claims are denied and in SOAR, it's like 75% are approved. You know, so it's like really, really worth doing. And then they might get re-referred when a year later, you know, they got housing or, or something like that and they got to leave the shelter. Um, another thing that can derail is relationship problems. So if you, um, if your client like just doesn't like you for some reason or you don't like them for some reason, and I, I really believe we should really try hard to care about our clients and find whatever we can to like about them and support them. That's really an, you know important. But we're human beings and they're human beings. And sometimes we don't click if there's something that's not working. And if that's the case, you know, it's important to just recognize that and figure out what to do about it. Because um, there could just be, you know, a lack of fit in some ways. Um, and, and that didn't happen to us, you know, frequently, um, but it occasionally happened. And, and then we just had to figure out what to do about it and problem solve creatively. Um, and of course, if there's safety concerns that can derail CTI and that may be, you know, sort of appropriate to NCTI because you don't, when you're doing individuals, meeting with people in the community, um, you need people to be safe. Um, and then sometimes CTI can drift, drift off course where it just starts to look like routine case management or another service. Um, and so, you know, that's not really fitting in with the model. And then just sort of the limits of, of what the program can do, the limits of resources or the limits. And, and sometimes that can, it's not really derailing CTI, but sometimes we have, you know, limits that we just have to um, know, create, you know, challenges. Um, so I don't know, do people, um, do these, I'm, I'm guess I'm wondering, you know, do people feel like this is similar to the kind of things that come up for you and your work that aren't, that may not even be, some of them may not even be related to CTAB, it could be related to any other kind of service. But this is the kind of stuff that after doing this for years, I was like, you know, here's the, here's a category of things. Often I could say, here's, you know, here's the kind of stuff that gets us in tr into trouble and gets us off track. So maybe if you could just put in the box if these things look similar or to yours, or if you just have any kind of other comments. Yeah, we have some people mentioning that it's similar and um, there's a yes, especially not being on the same page as the goals they set or change the goal midstream. Um, mm -hmm. And also when you were referencing, I think it was called SOAR, uh, one of the resources that we have here, um, I, I'm not sure if it's just LA County, um, but CBEST, um, they will mm -hmm. assist with getting um, people approved for Social Security and support mm -hmm. that process. They're a really, really helpful group. Nice, yeah. Well, SOAR is, a, I believe, a national thing, and I, um, I think it's called... Um, something outreach and access and recovery, but it, the acronym doesn't quite fit what it actually is. Um, 
but it's it's um it's a two-day training and it's a great training because when you get out you know how to do something that is um that is hard to do but we did a lot of sword claims we could only do one at a time it's a huge amount of work but then if somebody gets benefits you know for the rest of their life they've got a staple income and health insurance of some kind and so it's um, really a great thing to do. And sometimes we would just have that be the main focus of our work um, to just really do that. Um, so let's see where we are. So, um, so if you're trying to start a CTI team or implement CTI in some way or implement some part of CTI in some way that you see like elements of this where you think like this could work for us and I want to incorporate this or adopt this in. Um, there are some resources. So the Center for Advancement of CTI, that's at that that's the website where by the people who kind of invented CTI and there's a lot of resources on there, including a lot of the forms and you know and um, you know they just have all these sort of official resources. Uh, the CTI Global Network, this is basically a place where people can communicate with each other about their CTI work. And it's there's a lot of CTI in South America um, with families, for example, and it's in other countries. So it just is around the globe and in certain, you know, and with certain populations. The C4 training organization, they do some CTI stuff. They do a lot of different kinds of trainings. They do a lot of webinars. So just want to mention them. And then Orcode. So whoever is talking about baking cookies, y'all know about that. But Orcode has got some really cool, cool stuff on it. They also do a lot of good training um, and have some very good, that was where the meaningful activities was, the guest policy. There's a crisis plan on there. There, um, you know, there's um, quality of life surveys. So there's just some really neat tools and you just go to products and you purchase them, but they're free. At least that's how I think they're still doing it. Um, and then some places uh, will develop their own little local learning community. Like when I did some training in Connecticut, they had one that there was a few little teams around and they would get together and try to figure out how to support each other. Um, in, in doing CTI. So let's take a break because the next thing we're going to talk about is just uh, self-care, how to prevent burnout or figure out if we are burned out <laughs> and all that kind of stuff at least in time for just uh, questions or whatever else we want to talk about. So it is 10.03, I think there. Um, so why don't we come back at um, 1020? All right, that sounds good. All right, I'll see everybody in 15 minutes. All right, I think I'm gonna get started again. Maybe if I could get a few thumbs up emojis to make sure I've got some people back. Seeing some, thank you, thank you, thank you. So we're gonna talk about um, self-care next and have um, a piece of paper and something to write with. Um, I'll probably do a, a, a few little writing things. Um, all right, thank you. Um, so here's a little slide on self-care and slide on self-care. And 
if you look at the one on the right where the person is supposedly sleeping in bed, but they're dreaming or thinking about work, and then they're at work and they're just wishing they should could, they could be asleep. So um, this has certainly happened to me. I don't know what it is about lying down in bed that makes me think about, and when I'm working, I can be you know, just distracted and, and, and wish I was doing something different. Um, so I don't, I don't think this is a, a rare um, experience um, for those of us who are working really hard and, and um, have a lot of demands and are juggling a lot of things, as I know many of you are with you know, kids and spouses and friends and you know, health issues of your own or whatever it is. So um, this is why we're talking about this. And, you know, in the left, you can see like all the, um, you know, the, the impacts of, of stress on our emotion, you know, so we can be like, you know, start to feel irritable or depressed or angry or anxious. Um, and when we're stressed, we can um, have behaviors that aren't that helpful, like, you know, be more accident prone. We don't eat well, we don't sleep well. You know, we're drinking too much, we're smoking too much, we're not sleeping enough, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and that our body certainly reacts to stress. You know, we can feel like, you know, have aches and pains and headaches and, you know, um, like just irritability or get sick more often. And, you know, in our minds, we can just like have uh, just feel confused or have too many worry thoughts or have bad dreams or we can't make decisions or we just feel like have negative thoughts about everything. So stress has can have a huge impact on us and we're not going to be able to have automatically non-stressful lives. Um, but there are things that we can do to sort of mitigate the impact of stress so that we're still taking care of ourselves and are a little more resilient and have a better balance in our lives. So that's what I'd like to talk about now. So I wanna mention um, moral fatigue or moral distress. This may be a term that you've heard of before, um, but I think in certain professions, um, we're more likely to have this experience. And I think we are in a profession where that is, this is more likely to happen. I've seen it happen with um, nurses um, and other medical professionals and, you know, I'm sure about teachers, I think sometimes, you know, have this feeling as well. But what it means is when you know the right thing to do, the ethical thing to do, but you don't have the ability to do it, you're powerless to do it in some ways, or that it's out of your, or the circumstances are out of your control, like you want to do, you should do as the right thing to do that you have a personal moral obligation to do, you know, based on kind of what your moral code is or what your ethical responsibilities are and your ability to actually do those things. And that is stressful to have that kind of disconnect and it makes people feel worn out and exhausted. So the causes can be, you know, overload that you've got more to do than is reasonable to manage. Um, and that could be in your professional life and people be like this combination of professional life, you know, work life and personal life. And obviously during COVID that's um, been very true for people. You know, I have one of my very good friends and um, colleagues has 
Uh, she's working from home. Her husband's working from home. They have, they have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. And she just, and she feels like she's supposed to be a superhero in her job at the same time. You know, it's impossible. Um, lack of resources that are needed for yourself or for people that you're working with. If you um, have, uh, if you're embedded in systems that don't feel supportive in the ways that you wish they did, or if you're embedded in systems that are dysfunctional, because that could be, heck, that could be as, you know, just, you know, a system as big as like being in the United States, <laughs> being in LA, being in a social service network that's not like functioning in a very coordinated, you know, way. Um, you know, that, you know, and a lot of communities are like that. My community is certainly like that. And so when this happens, we can have, you know, emotional exhaustion, we can feel burned out, we have kind of conflict with others, you know, it's like probably our family members, we're going to take it out on them if we're not careful, um, or just feel pissed off at people at work, or we might not take care of ourselves, or we might can suffer or just feeling angry. So partly I want to put this up there because there's nothing wrong with you if you're feeling stressed out because uh, you probably have legitimate reasons to feel stressed out and part of it can be this um, experience. So what do we do about all that, right? So this is a few little kind of metaphors. You have may have heard this one before, but I think it really speaks to um, people who are in any kind of helping profession that, you know, when you're on an airplane and they say, you know, if, if the cabin is low on oxygen, these oxygen masks will drop down, put them on, here's how to put them on. And if you are with somebody, you know, a child or an elderly person or a disabled person, put your own on first before you help them. Because what happens? What happens if you do them first? <laughs> um, you might not be, they're not gonna, they can't help you get yours on. You know, you, you've gotta, you've gotta put yours on first um, so that you can help um, other people. So think about this when you're you know, working that you've got to take care of yourself because you are the tool of your trade. It's all about you. It's kind of like if, if uh, when soldiers are marching you know, um, that, that's part of what, say, people in the army do that I don't know that much about this, but it's really important for them to take really good care of their feet and their shoes because a big part of what they're doing is marching long distances. So what we're doing is using ourselves or our hearts and our minds and, and our internal resources and our caring, our ability to sort of care compassionately for other people. So we have to take really good care of our own you know, hearts and minds and, and spirits. So think about this, um, as you're sitting here today, if you're, you know, if you are like a gas tank <laughs> and being full means you feel, you know, uh, like you've got the internal resources to feel well and resilient and calm and able to sort of, you know, be at your best. Um, how full is your gas tank? So just kind of look at that picture and draw, you can draw one and draw a line on it, or you can just imagine a line and try to think about where you are right now. On your so probably a lot of you aren't at the top and I'm hoping that you're not at the bottom. <laughs> 
Um, but you know, if you are, that's that's uh, good to notice. And if you're like a lot of us, you might not be where you want to be or where you need to be. Um, and if you are, that is fantastic. You know, that's really great. And to think about like how how are you doing that and what are you doing right in your life that's allowing you to keep a full thing and uh, keep doing that and keep doing keep doing more of that. Um, here's another little metaphor that I think is um, a really great little saying is, uh, and this is from DBT. And so I've told you I'm a, a therapist for dialectical behavior therapy. So um, I have a lot of things from there that are in my brain. And one of the things um, that's in there is that um, when you have, um, for people who have a lot of problems in their lives or blowups in their lives or crises, um, you can't really, if you think about that as being on a boat, you can't really fix your boat if you're in the middle of a tidal wave, you know, you just hope your boat's going to make it. But when you're out of the tidal wave, that is time to like get your boat right, you know, and figure out like, what do I do to fix my boat? How do I make my boat like waterproof and stable and be able to support me and take care of me? So if we think about ourselves and our lives, um, as a boat, we're, you know, we have to find some quiet times to, to sort of work on that, work on that boat. So I'm going to do a little quiz with you guys, and I will have David send it out. Um, and it's called, it's a burnout inventory. So get a piece of paper and number it one to 16. And because then you're going to answer questions on a scale, it's going to be one strongly agree, two agree, three disagree, four strongly disagree. So just get, I'll wait like a minute for everybody to just number um, a paper one to 16. Um, and it's important to know the numbers because some of the items um, indicate like burnout and some of them indicate sort of the opposite of burnout. So I'm going to be able to tell you that after. Okay. So I'm gonna ask these questions one at a time and I'll wait just about five seconds between each one. So don't ponder on it too long, just kind of go with, you know, sort of your gut reaction about your answer. Um, number one is I always find new and interesting aspects in my work. Number two, there are days when I feel tired before I arrive at work. Number three, it happens more and more often that I talk about my work in a negative way. Number four, after work, I tend to need more time than in the past in order to relax and feel better. I'm gonna read it one more time because I think that's a confusing question. After work, I tend to need more time than in the past in order to relax and feel better. Number five, I can tolerate the pressure of my work very well. Number six, lately I tend to think less at work and do my job almost mechanically.
Number seven, I find my work to be a positive challenge. Number eight, during my work, I often feel emotionally drained. Number nine, over time, one can become disconnected from this type of work. Number 10, after working, I have enough energy for my leisure activities. Number 11, sometimes I feel sickened by my work tasks. Number 12, after my work, I usually feel worn out and weary. Number 13, this is the only type of work that I can imagine myself doing. Number 14, usually I can, I can manage the amount of my work well. And number 15, I feel more and more engaged in my work. And number 16, when I work, I usually feel energized. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about how to score it. And it's not like a thing like that, it's more just sort of a general trend. So the things that are sort of positive and being sort of like not burned out um, are these numbers, I'll tell you. So on these numbers, if you have a high score, that's a positive sign, okay? So maybe if you have a high score, like um, a um, three, or let's see what would be, just a second. So if you have a low score on these, it's positive. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm gonna go through them. And when I say it, if you have a low score, give yourself just a little check um, beside it. Number one, number five, number seven, number 10, number 13, 14, and 15, and 16, I'm sorry. So if you have low scores in that, that's kind of a positive indication that you're not burned out, that you're feeling good about your work and life balance and how you're feeling emotionally, um, especially related to your um, professional work or your, um, you know, your current job. The other ones, all the other ones, if you have a um, high score in those, hold on just a second, Let me make sure I'm saying this right. If you have a if you have a low score in the other ones, it's kind of a negative sign, right? So if you think about um, you know like um, 
you know, Nupti says there are days when I feel tired before I arrive at work. Strongly agree. So if you have low scores and all the other ones, that's a bad sign. So maybe uh, next to those, if you've got a one or two, put a little like X. And when I send it to you, you can kind of look at it more um, carefully. Um, but then when you're done with that, kind of look at it and see, you know, do you have a lot of checks or do you have a lot of X's? Um, or are you somewhere in the middle? If you don't have many checks and you have a lot of X's, that, that might be that you're experiencing at least some level of burnout. You know, I've been doing this kind of work for a long time, but one time um, I did this with a really good friend, close colleague of mine, and I had just learned about this um, from somebody else. And I said to her, I said, Marie, let's together for a weekly meeting. And we both did it. And we got to the end and we didn't even have to add it up. We both went, oh no, <laughs> we're in trouble, you know? And then we had a big long talk about like what we needed to do to get ourselves out of burnout and really figure out how to problem solve so that we were getting the support we needed, getting ourselves back in balance, um, figuring out how to you know, solve some of these burnout issues because, you know, people who are burned out um, don't, you know, if they stay in their jobs, they're just not happy and not doing well, or they're going to leave. They're going to, you know, quit because nobody wants to be burned out. You know, you're going to go, hey, gosh, I'd rather work at Starbucks. I'm going to pause and see if there's any uh, comments in, in the chats or if anybody wants to speak in person and this is personal you may not feel like it, but if anybody would like to say anything in the, the chat or share anything, um, I'll leave, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds for that. Okay, Janice, we have a question is, um, and I think I have the answer, but is the burnout questionnaire, um, that's a document you'll be sharing, but it's not um, currently in the shared drive. I no, it's not, you're correct. Okay, great. I just, I was just, you know, and this is all along, but it's called the Oldenburg Burnout Inventory, and I will send it to you. Because okay. um, it is kind of a, um, I didn't learn about it in CTI, but our, you know, like I said, our small team um, found it helpful to do. And it was kind of like an eye opener for some of us, even though we kind of knew where we were. And, and there are times when I don't feel burned out at all and feel like, no, this is great. I'm working hard, but I, I'm loving it. So I've been on both sides of this, but it was a good discussion point. You know what I mean? It was a good way. It was a good conversation opener that if you're doing a little bit of retreat time or just a little taking, carving out a little time and meeting to just talk about like, hey, how are we doing as a team? You know, it might be um, a nice thing to do as a team, but it can also be a good thing to you just uh, to do for yourself to uh, figure out, you know, kind of how are you doing and is there something that needs attention in your life? Great. And um, there was also a question, and I apologize. I, I don't think we'll be able to answer this, but there was a, a request to repeat something, and I'm so sorry. I don't know when that came through, so I, did, I don't know exactly what part they wanted to be repeated. However, oh, which question it was? Yeah, or if it was maybe just the scoring. There have been a few moments where you're um, 
uh, camera and audio freeze for a quick second. So oh, shoot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, and actually the person says they, that they were able to figure it out. So, okay. <laughs> so sorry okay. about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. No problem. I did get a little signal that my internet was unstable for a minute, which is, you know, sorry. <laughs> it, it seems like now every once in a while, a little freeze, but only for a second or two. Yeah, I know. I'm very sorry about that. Normally my internet is pretty good here, but it looks like I think the weather is getting bad. And, and so um, if I freeze up, David, please let me know if I need to repeat anything. Um, okay. Yeah. And um, okay. Thank you. Um, so we'll talk about kind of some self-care strategies here and maybe do a couple little, um, you know, exercises or reflections about this. Um, so probably everybody's heard about mindfulness because mindfulness is kind of um, sort of trendy, you know, almost right now. Um, but for good reason, because there are things about mindfulness that can be helpful. And mindfulness just doesn't mean that you have to be doing meditation because um, there are all kinds of ways to be, to introduce tiny bits of mindfulness into your life. Um, so I'm gonna make a couple of suggestions. And then also self-compassion. And I'm going to do a little self-compassion exercise from one of the gurus of self-compassion. And her name is Kristen Neff. And I've included her website um, in the slideshow. But it's basically selfcompassion.org. And she's got all kind of just really cool stuff on there. And she's got TED Talks and videos and guided meditations. And, and, and she's just sort of all about uh, self-compassion. Um, but you know, mindfulness can be as simple as um, just taking a minute to kind of tune into yourself to notice, you know, what what you're feeling um, and what you need, you know, what you want, and to how's your body feeling, um, what is going through your mind, and to just tune into yourself and 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 uh, pay attention to yourself for just a minute. It can also mean just connecting with the present moment in some way. Um, one of my favorite ways to do um, mindfulness is if I'm taking just a, a walk in my neighborhood to rather than just letting myself be in my head and having all the thoughts, thoughts, thoughts that just are like, it's like a, it's like a merry-go-round in my head sometimes. And, and then I'll switch and think about everything I can hear and then I'll feel like the breeze or the feeling of my feet stepping on the pavement um, and paying attention to every single leaf or tree that I can see or a kid riding their scooter. And so sometimes it can just be a matter of, of paying attention to the present moment and kind of like letting worries go for a moment or letting things in the past go for a moment. Because what can happen is in any given moment, um, we can sort of start, you know, ruminating about the past or thinking about what happened or what was distressing or mistakes we made or whatever, or uh, something that made us feel, you know, upset. And then we're not just having that happen in the past. We're like having it, we're bringing that into our present moment. And it was already enough to have it in our past, you know, and now we're kind of bringing it to our present moment when our present moment maybe doesn't have to have that um, in it. And we can do the same thing with worrying, that we're planning and worrying about what's going to come up the next day. And it's going to come up tomorrow. And 
you know, we could just be borrowing worry for the next day when in this moment, we just have another moment that we can have in our life that could just be without the future and without the past and just in this moment. And that doesn't mean there's not usefulness to reflecting on things in the past. And it doesn't mean there's not a time to even worry or plan or think about, anticipate, you know, so I'm not saying we're in this blissed out you know, state all the time, but there is a place for just kind of being in the present moment and, and, and sort of trying to let go of worries and let go of ruminations about in the past and just connecting, you know, there's all kinds of cool guided meditations for people who like that kind of thing. Um, you know, breathing meditations, all those kinds of things and cool apps um, that you can find on your phone. Um, so, so there's that. Um, and then another thing that has to do with self-care, and this is more about kind of in your job, but it also could be in your families or in your other relationships. And that is knowing what your limits are. Um, and so, you know, we all have our limits and if we're constantly going beyond what our limits are, then we're not going to be um, taking good care of ourselves. And, you know, if your limit is that you can't have um, your brother be calling you at midnight to talk about, you know, his problems, or you can't be taking, you know, calls from clients after five o'clock, or you need to always take lunch because that's important for you, or you, you know what I mean? Like, there's all these things that, um, that we have limits about that are that are inside us and sometimes we're not paying attention to what they are and knowing them so and and sometimes we don't even know like I have a good friend who said I don't even know what my limits are you know <laughs> so the way to figure out what they are is to pay attention to you know what they are in yourself to see if you can sort of notice like oh that's a limit that I have but this is you know, I don't want to do this, or I'm not able to do this. And it is okay to have limits and to know what they are and to do something about it. Now, that doesn't mean you don't stretch sometimes, you know, sometimes we all have to, um, but that's, we could do kind of a whole, we could do a big, long discussion about this. Um, and I would probably love to do that, but we don't really have time to do that. But that is a, um, a good thing to know. So, you know, I'll just give a couple of examples that I know that I, um, I don't want to, there's, I don't like to take a lot of phone calls after five o'clock and I'll be tempted to, because I'll feel like I should, you know, or I'll feel like, well, if I was a caring person, I, I would take work calls after five o'clock, but it's not really, a, it's kind of a limit that, um, that if I go over that limit, I'm not going to be doing good things for myself. My motivation to work is going to go down. I'm going to feel more exhausted and I might feel resentful. And that's not even fair to the person calling me, right? Um, and then I can have, you know, so could I have another limit and I get to say that, you know, I get to say, I'm sorry, um, but they don't allow smoking in my car. <laughs> so there's things practical things and, and um, you know, um, things that are just related to self-care. Um, and this is, the next thing is, um, part of this is you're getting uh, some wisdom that is just wisdom that was passed on to me that meant something to me. So I'm passing it on and maybe it will be relevant for you as well. 
Um, but sometimes when we're working with clients who have really big problems and we see them making choices or making mistakes, or we see something that they need and, and then it becomes not just that we want it for them, but it's like, we need it for them. We need them to do this. We need them to, you know, stop, you know, um, getting themselves at risk of eviction or stop from getting in legal trouble or, you know, stop doing something that you can see there. You know, it's like they're putting minefields in their own front yards. They're just, you know, blowing things up all the time. But if you need, if you feel like you need that, you know, like you just, you, you don't just like hope or wish it for them, um, then you're going to feel more stressed out um, as a result of feeling like, oh, they just have to do it. I need them to do it. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go out of my mind if they don't figure this out. I have to get them to do it. Um, that doesn't work. <laughs> it's not very effective. And it just leads to more um, burnout for you. Um, so that when somebody told me that, I thought, oh my, the light went on because I realized that I was doing that. I was needing things to happen rather than just wanting it. And it's a little bit of a detachment from an outcome, which is, you know, maybe a little bit Buddhist or Zen, but I'm, I'm not Buddhist or Zen, but there is something about being caring and also detaching from how things turn out. Um, and then... Uh, that are supportive to us, figuring out who those people are, um, and and then um, figuring out like what do we know about what's what's good for us. So what I'd like to do here is pause for a minute, and here's a question for you to write down. Okay, very very simple, very simple question. What do you know about yourself? What do you know is good for you? And that can be anything. Um, just that you know what's good for you. One of the ways that sometimes I think about this is, do you remember, sometimes if you're not even sure, do you remember what was good for you as a child? Or do you remember what was you liked as a child? Um, but to, but, you know, sometimes that could be a clue. Um, but what do you know now as an adult is good for you? So it could be physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually and just make um, a list of those things. Okay, and then the next thing is um, to look at that list and see is there any big discrepancy between what you know is good for you and what you're actually doing? Like, are those things happening for you? Maybe some things aren't related to what you're doing. There may be things that you don't have control over, but um, see if there's any big gap actually happening for you in your life now and then last question is what is the barrier like if you've got a gap what's what's getting in the way of this thing that's good for you that's not happening in some way okay well we can end there and if we had more time or think about this but if this was useful you if there's something that you um, reflected on um, then maybe the next thing would be to figure out is there something that you would like to um, do about that um, and let's see I'm going to actually stop sharing for a second
So, um, so for me, um, so I'll just share an example and I'd be happy to hear other examples. One of the things that I notice <clears throat> happens to me is that for me, something that's important to me and good for me is to do things that I consider fun. <laughs> and if I don't do at least two fun things a week, then I will notice a decline in how I feel emotionally, but I have to do something that makes me laugh or is, and that could be playing cornhole <laughs> or playing a board game or um, having somebody, you know, over and build a fire in our fire pit or, you know, you know, I have like, I don't have a long list because I don't have that. My hobbies aren't too exciting, but I know if I can do at least a couple of things that are fun during the week and there's, and that's not even that hard doing to make it happen. Um, so let's see if there's, I'd be really curious to hear if anybody would like to share in the chat or unmute yourself if there's, you know, um, anything that you thought about for yourself. And Janice, I just wanted to mention, there's a lot of comments in the chat. I don't know if you want to, if it would okay. be for you to go through, if you want me to do that for you, whatever works best. <laughs> All right, let me go back here. This is awesome. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yes, laughter and fun. Yes, I'm with you on that. Self-care and laughter. Isn't that interesting that laughter like how healing it is to laugh, um, peace of mind, being in nature, that's a great one, spending time with family and friends, space and time just for yourself and reminding yourself that it's not selfish. Oh, that's fantastic, especially when if you've got a life where a lot of people want or need your time, that it is important to take time for yourself. And you're right, it's not selfish, but it can we can start to think that it is being in trainings <laughs> that you want to attend. <laughs> so that could go, that could go both ways, right? That could be a barrier to doing something for you or it could be something good for you. So it really depends, right? Having a moment to yourself, no husband, children, or phone. Yeah, has anybody with kids ever gone into the closet? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, if you go in the bathroom and close the door, it's kind of unspoken rule that you are not interruptible, you know? <laughs> so um, that's a great one. Gaps in taking lunch breaks and not working at the same time. Yes. Oh my goodness, I relate. So being kind of a workaholic is the barrier. Yeah, that's um that's a you know, that's a that's a very honest statement. Yeah, and a hard one. Feeling like little or no time in the day truly belongs to oneself. And I found as I get older and older, less and less time belongs to me. <laughs> no bueno. Yeah, right. You know, you're going to keep on, like this isn't going to change automatically, I'm guessing, right? You know, so, you know, how do we, how do we figure out how to um, meet our own needs in our lives? And that it doesn't mean we're off the hook in our responsibilities, you know, like I'm big into personal responsibility, um, but we do have to find some way to grab something for ourselves that, that we really need. Yeah, if there's so many people depending on you, um, 
you know, sometimes the solution would be like, how do I get people to be less dependent on me? You know, like what, what can people do th for themselves that I'm doing now that maybe I don't, maybe I don't have to, um, you know, sometimes I can be to teach your kids how to do something, you know, for themselves. Thank you so much, you guys, for, um, for sharing that. Um, so it's, it's just really, really important. So I'm going to, let me go back. If there's nothing else, I'll go back to um, my PowerPoint here and see where we're at. And so these are um, resources and I'll show you one. So, um, and there's probably a gazillion things um, that could be here, um, including, you know, funny videos, you know, what makes you laugh, you know, whether it's like cat videos on YouTube or, you know, hilarious baby things on YouTube or whatever, or comedy. Um, there could be, you know, if you figure out where's where's places in your community where you can sit, you know, and, and peace or take a walk. So there's just practical things like that or, or um, you know, um, like I had a friend who just signed up for geocaching. I don't know if you guys know about that, but it's like a little way to do a treasure hunt, you know, that's, um, that's kind of fun. So there's all different things that are out there. And this upper link is um, a whole... Um, it's like a little self-care packet. So I'm going to show you that because I think I'm getting, believe it or not, I'm getting too close to the end. Let me see if I can find. I'm going to show you just part of this. So here is, I just thought this was kind of a nice way to think about a date book. You know, if you had in your, what if in your, instead of your date book, just having what meetings you had or what tasks you, you also had, you know, were you drinking enough water or were you sleeping? Or, you know, it might say, did you remember to take a walk or did you remember to have a little time to yourself or a prayer break um, or, or anything like that? For me, it would be, you know, that five minute walk between meetings or um, um, remembering to, you know, I can sometimes get to three o'clock in the afternoon and I haven't had a single glass of water, you know, stuff like that. And I think this was written in England because it has here the best bit and the worst bit, which I think is very British, <laughs> but maybe something about the best, you know, what was the best part of the day or the most difficult part of the day. And then they have here self-care self shenanigans, which I just think is, is, is so cute. So how do you figure out, even in the middle of a busy day, what do you do to take care of yourself? And then how are you feeling? Sort of this, a little bit of this mindfulness, like, Am I super happy? Am I sad? Am I angry? Am I feeling all, you know, exhausted or just flat and blank, um, you know, sort of checked out? Um, and so, you know, that might be a nice way to, you know, build something into your workday where, you know, sometimes just even a little bit of self-care can make a difference and y'all do deserve it. So I'm going to show you this I'm gonna go ahead and show you the whole packet because it's kind of kind of cool. See if I can find. Let me just find it. So this is that link, and I thought this was um, nice. So it's it's 15 pages long. I think this would be just maybe even cool to do with a client. Um, but it's just super. It's got lots of pictures. Let me see if I can make it a little bigger even. And um, I'll scroll down. Here it's got things like 
times I've sucked, times I have sucked at self-care and what it taught me. We can all do that. Um, and then it has a lot of sort of just self-awareness things, you know, um, about, you know, interesting facts about you, figuring out what are all the different things you're juggling. I know, you know, heck, we can even see what Heather's juggling just in her background. I know we're all juggling lots of things because you know, these people are demeaning of our time. Um, this is kind of like, where are you feeling like you're in the pecking order? So that can be in your family at work, um, but that makes a difference to our um, self-care. Here's the, the gas tank. Let's show you all this. Here's like mood tracking, um, things you want to do or want to be, or want to have or want to feel. It gives a place for a playlist. <laughs> um, and then your favorite quotes um, or things, you know, this is something that um, I actually have these little quote cards I sometimes pass out to my clients that are just inspiring or reminders. Um, well, here's one, write down all the negative things that you've been told. Boy, oh boy, don't we all have that? And then now just scribble over them. They're not your truth, but another way to think about this, and this would be consistent with uh, cognitive behavior therapy is like, what, you know, what was a myth? Like, what's not true? What's a more realistic, you know, optimistic, helpful way to think about things? And sometimes those things that include a lot of judgments, you know, um, we all have, you know, baggage. So you, you might think this is a little corny, but I just want to show it because it's some of us like corny things. And if you don't relate to it, um, then maybe there's something else that you could relate to. So let me see. So I don't need to go through the whole thing, but um, that is the link. And I actually downloaded it as a document and I can send that out as well. So, um, so that is all that I have about all that except for maybe leading um, a small uh, self-compassion mindfulness exercise that I can also send out uh, so you can have it because this is something I've um, sometimes, you know, done at work or when in my groups or with my um, clients, I thought I'd do that. And then maybe I think we'll probably be done a little bit early, but what we can do is before we go is just see if there's any brainstorming that people want to do um, since we've been talking about CTI and all this stuff, um, if there's anything that you want to think about bringing with you from this training so that it doesn't just feel like, you know, you know, some trainings do where it's just like you leave and, and there's nothing even that stays with you, you know? So if there's something that at least maybe one thing from this training that you would like to take with you that feels useful, um, no matter, no matter how small. So um, I'm going to, so feel free to take yourself off, off camera for this if you don't have yourself off already. And I will just lead us through this um, little mindfulness exercise. And, um, you know, so hopefully you're in a place where, and if you're in a situation where you can't really um, 
take the time to do this because you literally are having to pay attention to other things in your environment, um, then just kind of do, do the do the best that you can to have a self-compassion break because that's what this is, that's what this is called. So first of all, um, get in your chair in a way that feels comfortable and relaxed, but not like you're about to fall asleep or slouch down to sink into the floor. So kind of like relax, but um, alert and comfortable. And start by taking three deep breaths and make your exhale a little bit longer than your inhale. Okay, so now bring to your mind a situation in your life that is causing you some stress or is difficult in some way. So that could be something at work or it could be something in a relationship or it could be something that you're just personally experiencing, but something that's just um, a difficult thing for you. And call the situation to your mind and see if you can really experience that emotional discomfort and stress so that you can kind of feel it in your and your body and you get to decide how much if it just if you don't want to sort of dive into a pool of of pain you know that's okay you decide how much you want to think about that but kind of bring it bring something to mind that you would like to focus on now and now say to yourself any of these things this is a moment of suffering this is painful. This is difficult or distressing or stressful. And that's the mindfulness part of this. Just noticing that this is really hard in whatever way it's hard. And so just let yourself validate that this is a difficult thing in your life. And then the next thing is related to the humanity part of this. So the next thing to say to yourself is, we all struggle in our lives. Feeling pain means I'm a human being. Suffering, unfortunately, is part of life. Other people have felt this way and I'm, I'm not alone. And so now come to the self-compassion part. So if you're willing, you know, put your hands over your heart, you know, or across your chest and try to feel the warmth of your hands on your chest, the gentle touch of your hands on your, on yourself. And you can do that in whatever way feels good to you. So if it feels better to put your hand on your stomach or on your shoulders, um, but do something that feels like a warm, soothing, caring touch to yourself. And now say to yourself something like, may I be kind to myself? Or what do I need to hear right now to express kindness to myself? Is there 
a phrase that speaks to you in this particular situation. So that could be, may I give myself the compassion I need? May I accept myself as I am? May I forgive myself? May I be strong or patient? Whatever feels like the right thing to say to yourself that's kind and compassionate. And when you feel ready, just take a breath or two. And if you have your eyes closed, open your eyes, look around, feel yourself in the chair. Um, and come back to this present moment. And if there was something useful about that or helpful, you feel like there's any part of that that would be um, good for you. It's the kind of thing that you can do really at any time of day or night, even if it's briefly to kind of remember these, these three steps that attention to yourself, noticing when you're struggling in some way, remembering that it's just kind of part of a, being a human being in this world, part of humanity, and that you can also add some kindness and compassion to yourself. So I'll just pause for a moment. And, and when, when I do mindfulness with our teams, one of the things that we sometimes do after is share if anybody had any observations about what that was like, including whether it felt hard to do or they felt distracted or whether it was helpful or, um, or anything. So if, if anybody would like to share anything um, about that, um, or whether they felt judgmental about it or didn't like it. Um, but if there's anything about it you'd like to share, um, you're welcome to unmute yourself or put something in the chat box and I'll wait for just a minute in case there is anything. These things tend to be kind of private um, experiences, um, mostly anyway, or that we'd share maybe in a smaller group. And so, the, so the, there's only one other thing I'd like to do re related to this is now that you're kind of in this uh, self, thank you, smile. Um, if, there's, if there's something about this that you think is helpful, here's another thing to, be, you know, to think about. And this is related to the work we do with clients. Um, so sometimes when I'm about to meet with a client that I'm nervous about meeting, or I dread it, or I feel overwhelmed by it, or maybe I really like them and I'm just feeling upset that they have to be going through these experiences in their life. Sometimes what I do is before I see them, try to have a moment of self-compassion and also think about um, compassion for them. And this is especially true if, I, if I'm dreading it or feel anxious about it, or I'm like, you know, stressed in some way and to think about what they're experiencing before they come see you what their day's been like what's hard for them um and um and 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 sort of imagine that which helps me increase my own compassion for them and then remind myself that i just want to try to sort of listen 
and kind of be there with, you know, my ears and my heart and kind of do the best job that I can um, um, with, with my clients being two human beings in, in the world that are kind of both doing the best that we can, even if that looks really different for both of us. Um, cause I, I find I, you know, somebody in here was talking about prayer and I used to, every time I met with a client right before I got out of the car, I would say to myself exactly that I would say, you know, let me listen with my ears and my heart. And that would help me be in a good mindset before I, um, met with them. And that made me feel better about my job. So if there's something like that for you. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be a person who relates to prayer, but anything that helps you be in a sort of receptive, compassionate state um, when you're doing your hard and busy jobs. Um, so I, I don't um, know that I have any, there's nothing else on my agenda. This is a training that goes, it looks like a lot quicker. And, and Zoom, and maybe because there's just less things with whiteboards and flip charts and milling around the room and getting in groups and getting coffee and all the things that we would be doing if we were in a room together. Um, but if there, but I would like to open it up, um, you know, David, if there's, you know, other things that you think would be uh, good for us to talk about. And if anybody would like to brainstorm about their program or if there's anything you want to um, review, um, I'd be happy to do that. And then, so there's that. And then maybe the last thing I'd like to do is see if people have like one idea of something that they could, um, you know, bring with them to their work, whether it's the face plan or self-compassion or the guest policy or, um, you know, you know, whatever it is, like something about team meetings, um, but I would like to hear that before we go too. So David, that's my idea for a way to close up. Is there anything else that you feel I need to cover in terms of you know what um, is on your mind for an agenda? No, I mean, I think we are, uh, I think we're all set. The, um... Everyone should have received an email at this point that has a link to the evaluation and that'll connect you them to the certificate as well as continuing education. And also I'll put the link to the Google Drive in the chat one more time. And, uh, and we're probably gonna add maybe a couple more documents to that. Um, so if, if everyone can just kind of copy and paste that and maybe bookmark it and, uh, and check that, um, you know, maybe I'll put all those things, I'll put all the things, you know, that I went over in there today. So if people would be willing to stay on, it's two, uh, 224, it's, uh, was it 1124 there? <laughs> it's 1124. If everybody would be willing to stay on for five more minutes and then just, um, you know, just if there's anything that you would be, um, you know, any ideas that you have from the, this training that you would um, feel like you could bring with you, or if you have any final questions, if we can just stay on for a few more minutes for that, um, that would be great. But I'm really, you know, happy to have met with you all. And it's, I have to be honest, it's, it's hard for me 
to know how trainings go when we're not in person. Um, but I, I hope there was something useful in it and if there's, and, but I'd love to hear any feedback um, from you all or anything you would like to share or any questions. In the role play, yeah. <laughs> we should do more role plays. Uh, it's kind of like fun to, it's, it's, it can be kind of fun to do a role play and it can be even more fun to watch somebody else do a role play, you know, and, and next time we, we, we could have done like one where let's do a really bad job <laughs> at doing this and then we'll do a good job. Um, I, do you need to do the survey to get the certificate, David? Yes, yes. Those things are connected. Yeah, okay, I'm glad the role plays worked out for, for some people, for sure, nice. All right, well, it looks like uh, some comments have trickled in, which I appreciate very much. And um, David, I'll stay on with you. And thank you for thank you for the thank yous and the appreciations. Um, I really en enjoyed this. Okay, well, um, yeah, thank you so much, everybody. Really um, appreciate the input very much. And I also do take my uh, feedback um, to heart. So if you have suggestions, um, I'm very, very open to that because I really like to try to um, learn by deliberate practice, which means you learn from your mistakes and keep trying to improve. <laughs> All right, well, I think um, looks like people are kind of sending thanks and, and everybody is free to go about your rest of your day. And um, thank you very much. <laughs>